0: Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Friday, April 6th, and here with me today is our new senior political correspondent, Tara Palmieri, who joins me to talk about what's broken with political journalism in Washington and how her New York tabloid roots inform the kind of reporting she'll be doing here at Puck. And later on in the show, Alex Bigler stops by for another round of Feedback Friday from the Fritz mailbag. We'll hear about all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Happy Friday, everybody. I hope you had a wonderful Cinco de Mayo. Uh, I hope all of you white people celebrating Cinco de Mayo um, actually Googled what Cinco de Mayo uh, is celebrating. Uh, That's your homework assignment for the weekend. Um, I'm joined today by Tara Palmieri, our newest uh, political journalist here. Uh, your exact title once again, Tara?
1: Senior political correspondent.
0: Okay, senior political correspondent. We talked early in the week, and this was sort of your introduction to the Puck content universe about the, the Politico story about Roe versus Wade. But we haven't talked yet, though, about you know what you're going to be doing here. Can you just give us a high level of what your beat is going to be? What excites you? You know, why'd you come to puck
1: Okay. So I have always wanted to do this actually just kind of write a newsletter about what everyone's talking about in DC, because it's like such a polite town in the sense that like everyone's chit chatting about everyone. It's totally transactional. Um, and, no one would dare write about what's really happening. Right. It would just be like, you're breaking the third wall. Like it is a play. DC is a play, you know, like, and they're all players in the play, but like, I'm actually going to break the third wall and tell the story of DC. And I'm really excited about it because I've been doing, I've been a reporter in DC for long enough to know enough people (laughs) and to be able to really do this, like in um, a way that's very deeply sourced, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, right in a way in which access isn't, isn't necessary. I have access. I've done this forever. I don't need a handout from the White House. I'll just tell you what's happening at the White House. I'm not afraid of the press secretary not responding to my email inquiry because yes. frankly, they never tell you anything anyway. Yes. I'll, I'll tell you the real story. So I am going to do what no one does in DC, which is do is tell the story without worrying about access.
0: Yes. And, and that's, I, I mean, amen to that. I think one, philosophically, like that is- an animating virtue of, of Puck generally. I mean, in terms of Washington, it, it's even more important because it's it's exactly like you said. I think if you are a younger reporter, you know, and, and I was there and you were there. Yeah. You're a little worried about writing something that's going to offend or wound the sensibilities of the people you want to talk to and need to mm-hmm. continue to cultivate. And so you pull punches you leave some of your best stuff on the cutting room floor. It doesn't make it into the story. Yeah. And then the older you get, you don't need to worry about that as much. The more you've been around the block, you don't need to worry about that as much.
1: But you do when you work in a really big news agency. So like when you work for a really big um, news company, when you want to report something, it doesn't just affect you. It affects all your yes. colleagues because then they threaten to take away access for the whole um, company, essentially. And so that's the problem. But we're a bunch of freaking fearless pirates at Puck. So I'm not worried about that at all. (laughs) And we're all so well-sourced and been doing this for long enough. Like, we don't need the press office. You know what I mean? And I've always thought the best reporting, the best reporters don't need the press office. The best reporters get a call from the press office asking them what they're working on every day, not the other way around. And if you really start reporting on what you know And what is true? You sometimes just get a lot of shade from your colleagues that are like, dude, you're doing the thing that no one does stop. And like, you might start having problems. And like, that's been my experience. And I just think like, this is exactly at this point in my career where I want to be, where I'm like, you know what? I can really tell you the story without fear or favor. I've got a team behind me that believes in the same mission and we will be read and people will still talk to us because- They're desperate for the truth. People are desperate, especially now more than ever. We just need to have like honest reporting that is the reporting about what's actually happening, not just the press releases we're getting. And I'm not going to just follow the sheep and whatever they're covering. I'm going to go the other way. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. And also not not be beholden to the sort of political conventional wisdom or the group think um, on the left on Twitter.
1: And there's a reason for the group think. like it's valuable for everyone in town to know what the line is and the messaging is right. Especially when they go on cable news and like they want to know what the party line is. Both parties want to know it and they want to know what the other party line is. And that's fine and good. You'll hear about it on cable news. You'll read about it. But like, let's actually like cut through that and tell everyone like, OK, these are the party lines. This is what's really happening. And. This is how everyone really, what re- everyone really thinks about it. And I just think like the conversation in DC is much more interesting than what you read about, frankly.
0: One thing I hear a lot in, in political journalism is, I think Maggie Haberman is held up as the biggest example of this. And I think Ben is the same way. Like they made their bones in the tabloids of New York. You know, they worked for the New York Post, or the Daily News, and that informs how they view political reporting. You worked... This wasn't your only job, but like you worked at the New York Post and not that that defines your career or anything, but like how does it as a political reporter, how does that inform how you approach the rest of political journalism, how you approach your career rather than like I graduated from Yale and got a job at BuzzFeed and got a job at CNN, you know, like what's the difference there?
1: Well, yeah, I started at the New York Post at page six. So that's like their. Yes, (laughs) that's basically their breeding ground for teaching uh, tabloid reporting so many great reporters come out of tabloid world. Like I always believe it's a really good place to cut your teeth. If you lived in the UK, like you would start in fleet street and like, that would be where you earned your bones. It's not like there's a sort of like pride to being a scrappy, hungry reporter that is willing to do anything for the story. And I just think like you come into it being an outsider and like, that's your, that's, that's where you stand. And like, you just have to own that. It's not like we're supermarket tabloids. Like Literally, the governor of New York is freaking out every morning when he opens up the New York Post. You know what I mean? And like there's legitimate stories and scoops, but like there's kind of like this take no prisoners, like you just report what you have. And at the Post, they don't give a shit what you think. They want to know what you know. Yeah. You're the golden goose if you've got the scoop. And if you don't, then like whatever. I remember when I was there, I really wanted to be on the city hall beat. My boss was like, "Okay, go get it there were just like no deep conversations. Like I remember like one of my first stories I said to her, I was like, Oh, Bill de Blasio can't get the highest level of security clearance because of what he was doing with the satanistas. And that was like one of my first stories. And it's like his work with the satanistas. And it's like, we had it all buttoned up, confirmed and it went out. And like, to them, they were like, great. You know, I had a story about like Chris Christie getting secret lap band surgery so he could run for president. Like to them, that's like the ultimate scoop. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like that is New York city tabloid. Like they just yeah. want the story. And like, it, it might seem like, oh, silly, but like actually no, him getting actual weight loss surgery showed that he was really serious about running because he knew that that was going to be an issue his weight. Right. And like, we all know Bill de Blasio is a colorful figure, but like his past was coming back to haunt him. Like, Can you imagine that the mayor of New York City could not get the highest level of security clearance because they weren't sure if he was a communist? That's a great story.
0: Like, it was (laughs)
1: nuts. But like, the more sensational, the better. But truly, like, they wanted what was inside the room. They wanted the scoop. And they wanted something that had never been reported before. And if they read about it in the daily news, don't even go to work the next day. Just (laughs) stay home. Because you will get your ass handed to you.
0: I love that that culture still exists. I mean, like, the Jimmy Breslin, like, Pete Hamill era is long gone. But the idea that, The audience is the most important person you're thinking about as a journalist. Like maybe it's salacious, or just maybe it's just like what's the most interesting piece of information that you can uncover and then deliver to the audience is fundamentally like what we're supposed to be doing. Like think pieces, trend pieces, you know, a lot of that stuff is like we write for each other. We're impressing other journalists and and bosses. I mean, one of my preoccupations just generally is as journalists, we've lost sight of audiences and the people that are consuming content and information out there, they have so much choice. And the stuff that rises to the top is, is the most compelling, entertaining, important. It's not like the 5,000 word, like think piece or whatever. Right.
1: Like news doesn't have to be boring.
0: Yes, exactly. Like, literally exactly. I would
1: hand a piece, <laughs> I would hand something to my boss and she'd be like, this is boring, right? Rewrite it. I'm like, really? She's like, yeah. Send it back. Snooze passed out. Like we used to call them, we used to call the, the editors, the beast. They were our alcoholic parents. And like, they kept <laughs> us far away from them. And it was like, you, you just like, you lived for their approval. And then when you didn't get it, it was like darkness. And then you yeah. just kept coming back and being like, look what I have, you know? And we all sat together and we all hated them and they kept us away from them. And then the best, at the New York post. So we didn't write the headlines. There are people there that write the headlines themselves and they're a group of people and they're very odd. I mean, I love them. Don't get me wrong, but they're just very kooky kind of creative artist types. Don't even offer, if you offer a headline, there's a hundred percent chance it won't make it in the paper. So don't even fucking bother. So you have no say (laughs) over how your story is about to be advertised in the paper. So don't even fucking bother. Okay. Like how dare you? And we would like, we would take, so instead we would take bets on what we thought they might come up with for the next day, especially the Wiener trial, like the rise and fall of Wiener oh, man. premature evacuation, like all of it, like every day <laughs> I look back on it. And I was just in my twenties and terrified because like the lifers there were just like so jaded. And like, one time I think my boss told me go run through traffic. I don't really care. Just get me a story. <laughs> it's like, thanks.
0: That does not happen at cnn <laughs> no it
1: would never that person would be in hr immediately they're like <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. what
0: hr <laughs> i will leave it at this i mean one of the reasons john kelly got me to come here was just saying like we say the quiet part out loud we want to pull no punches um exactly. and i i have a hunch that's exactly what you are going to do or not going to do. <laughs> all right tara thank you so much we're so excited to have you
1: yeah thank you
0: Welcome back, everyone, as we ease you into the weekend. I'm joined right now by Alex Bigler, our VP for Brands Partnerships here at Puck, who is definitely not Fritz, but she does have insight into our very important Fritz mailbag for a segment we call Feedback Friday. Alex, welcome. I want to ask you, not selfishly, but, you know, I am curious who's up and who's down. What were the hottest pieces published on Puck this week?
2: Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be back. Um, I thought I was going to be fired after my last appearance, Peter, but then a, a microphone was shipped to my home. So something tells me you're, wow. you're stuck with me for a while. Um, I might start a Cardinals podcast with that. Microphone in my spare time.
0: Given the Reds record this year, um, I will not be contributing to the Cardinals podcast, but go on.
2: That's fair. Um, so I think that there were three pieces this week that really hit um, nerves and the audience. So the first one was, have you read Eric's piece on AI and what constitutes authorship as it relates to artificial intelligence.
0: I haven't because I'm not intelligent and that would make my brain hurt.
2: It's wild. It's think about like, I don't know, the Terminator, you know, starting to make art and what does that mean and what is art and all of this stuff? It's wild and people loved it. I've got so many people reaching out after that piece came out. Very cool. The second thing, obviously everything Teddy is writing about Peter Thiel It's always important to pay attention to the people who are actively trying to stay out of the headlines. And I think Teddy is really good at talking about those people. And so that's getting a ton of buzz. And then I think the last one that stuck out to me of what people are writing in about or or responding to are, if you think that Pennsylvania is just about Pittsburgh Pirates, you're wrong. It is currently the seat of the wildest Senate race this season, which is the Dr. Oz, Dave McCormick Senate race. Yeah. And people are loving everything that Tina's writing about it. It has everything, reality TV and hedge funds and romance. I don't know about the romance, but you know.
0: No, that, that race is incredible. Tina's reporting there is fantastic. I don't know. It sort of scrambles our assumptions of what the two parties are right now. So I recommend everyone dig in on that reporting. Well,
2: I think they should just settle it all at a duel at Gettysburg. That's my that's my
0: recommendation, <laughs> to be honest.
2: Um, best feedback to the Fritz mail that Fritz told me about this week, I would say. After the launch of the Rainmaker, Eric's um, new private email, we received an order for a corporate subscription for a big entertainment law firm. Um, For those of you who don't know that Puck has group subscriptions, they do. You should email Fritz about it. It's great. So when Fritz reached out to email the group to explain how to log in and let them know that they have this corporate subscription, 80% of the group replied, saying that they were so excited, they were hoping they had a corporate subscription, that they couldn't wait, like, (laughs) how do they log in? And then the, the subsection, funny, amazing, fantastic feedback was they asked if they were allowed to read other people's newsletters like Julia's, even though they weren't media or entertainment focused.
0: What's the answer on that?
2: The answer is yes, you can have any of our private emails when you are a Puck subscriber. They're very excited. Takes a lot. Takes a lot to get a lawyer excited. It takes, you know. <laughs> it takes defamation lawsuits artificial intelligence as authors and puck corporate subscriptions
0: it really does i mean eric he must just sit and read through briefs and like j store stuff and like find the like 10th line on the 90th page of some document and be like oh this is interesting and like that's Fucking awesome. (laughs) I mean, that's like a real journalist right there.
2: And still has time for me slacking him being like, quick legal question. He's like, no, I'm not offering any sort of advice. All
0: right. Last thing. Both of us were fired up about this. I had my first, what, what would we say? Invitation? Fritz.
2: You had a Fritz, a close encounter of a Fritz kind, we can call it. <laughs> what was it like for you? What was that experience?
0: The Smithsonian reached out to ask me about moderating an event. Um, I can't do it, unfortunately, because of a conflict. But huge museum dork, huge Smithsonian dork. Used to live next to the Smithsonian Zoo in D.C. and went running through there every day. Pretty cool that that invitation came via puck.
2: I was glad to hear that you had that experience. Fritz gets all sorts of incredible invitations and requests to speak, but I do think that a shriek was let out when the Smithsonian reached out, I would say. There's a lot of
0: excitement. (laughs) That's great. All right, well, uh, this time next year, please email Fritz if anyone's interested in attending our very private invitation-only after-party at the White House Correspondents Center next year that I just made up out of thin air. Just kidding. Uh, but maybe, maybe. You'll only know. You'll only know if you keep reading Puck and email. And me
2: Fritz friends. makes a mean gin martini, so. Um.
0: Ooh, I love that. All right, Alex, have a good weekend. Thanks, thank Peter. you. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear on this podcast, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. You can visit us at puck.news and on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you next week. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13.